Well, I'm excited to start a new series for the summer, and uh, when I was planning this series, or uh, looking at this series, or looking at today's message, I thought, we should just do this every summer. This is just like a great series, so I'm really looking forward to it, and that is healthy spirituality, looking at the Psalms. And uh, I, I hope that I can, in some way, shape, or form, uh, invest in you some of my excitement and enthusiasm for the Psalms, uh, and why uh, a regular reading and meditation on the Psalms is so helpful to all of us, uh, if we want to experience the love of God. But I've got an important question uh, to ask you before uh, we, we jump into Psalm 34. Uh, I don't want you to answer it out loud, but I do want you to process this question. Think about your answer. The question is this. When you think about God thinking about you, what do you think God's thoughts are about you? Okay, let me just say that again. When you think about God thinking about you. What are his thoughts and feelings about you? You see, this is actually a very simple question, but the answer, your answer to this question is very, very, very telling. Because on the one hand, God is very loving, and as we just worshiped this morning, God loves us and he's pursuing us. But if you're uh, understanding of God's love for you is that God is very distant or God doesn't really love me because I've kind of messed up in some way, shape or form or if I first need to get my act together then God will love me or, you know, for many God is just like irrelevant or just like so out there I don't even know how to connect with God or if God loves me how would I ever know that? That's why looking at the Psalms is so vital and important. You know, the Psalms have been used for thousands of years as a way of people experiencing and understanding the personality and the reality of the living God. And it's not just about theology. It's not just knowing who is God or about God. It's the Psalms are used to know God personally. And the, the Psalms are used as a way that we can relate to how God relates to us in everyday life. They are really, uh, an, it's an amazing compilation. It's an amazing book in the Bible, an Old Testament book, uh, which people used to understand God before Jesus. Uh, that God was loving, that God was personal, that God is involved in our lives, and that we can experience that reality of God. I mean, that's why the Psalms and a regular reading of the Psalms is just so important. You know, before computers and before you had the Bible on your iPhone and people you had to lug around uh, Bibles, you know, the, actually the hard copy, which I'm still a big fan of because you can actually underline it and write in the margin and go back to it. Uh, I know you can do it electronically, but I just have a bias for the print version. And I have a bias. If you want to buy a Bible, I recommend you buy a hard print Bible, uh, get the New Living Translation, get the Study Bible, then we'll all be in sync and you'll be reading the same. But, you know, missionaries or people in years gone by when paper was expensive or Bibles were too heavy to carry around, they'd have the New Testament 
and the Psalms or Psalms and Proverbs. But if you could, like, if you had to scale the Bible down to just the parts that you're really desperately going to use and, and read. Now, sure, you use the whole Bible. But when you see people carrying, like, little missionary Bibles, small ones, New Testament and the Psalms, Psalms and Proverbs. And it's a very good reason, because as you regularly read the Psalms, you regularly stay connected with God. Now, the other thing which is kind of unusual about the Psalms, most of the rest of the Bible, it's kind of important to know the backdrop of the story, like the context. All meaning is context dependent. But when it comes to the Psalms, it's like, yeah, whatever was happening in the Psalmist's life, it's, it's kind of interesting, but it's really not that important. Because what happens in the Psalms is we start identifying with our heart. There's something that will come up and say, that's pertinent to my life. I mean, the first time you read the Psalms, you're kind of getting a feel of what is the flow of this book. And the second time you read the Psalms, it's like, okay, how are they organized? And let me get the feel of the, the poetry, perhaps, or whatever. But by the time you've read it like 20 times, 50 times, 100 times, every other time you're reading it, you're reading it and it's speaking to you. You're saying, I identify with that feeling. This is happening in my life. How did the psalmist deal with that experience? What did, how did he get through that difficulty? Or, you know, how did he experience this, this pleasure? So that's why we want to look at the psalms. And it's a, it's a book for us that helps us experience God's love. Because when we feel like God is distant or God is not relevant in our lives, or God is not working in our lives. You've got to ask yourself another question. Who's moved? God hasn't moved. You've moved. So something's happened in your life where you've drifted away, and you've got a little bit more distant from God, and the Psalms is a way of pulling you back in. And uh, I want to read Psalm 34. I want to look at Psalm 34. If you've got your Bible, a hard copy, or... Uh, on your phone is fine too. Uh, pull out this bulletin insert. We'll go along, follow along with that. But healthy spirituality, experiencing a loving relationship with God, and looking at Psalm 34, uh, the structure of this psalm is helpful, and it's, it's a, a good model for us. Let me just read the first three verses to you. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak His praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of God's greatness. Let us exalt His name together. Experiencing God's love is like riding a bicycle where the one pedal you need to push down to go forward is to worship God or to give thanks to God. If you, if you don't like have a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude towards God, you are not going to experience God. It's one of the pedals you need to push down, sometimes whether you want to or whether you don't want to. If you want to go forward, if you want to experience God's love, if you want to experience the reality of God, you need to find a way to worship God. Now, the strange thing is, uh, as you press that pedal, it's not only easy to worship God, you start finding many ways of wanting to worship God. And in fact, in this psalm, uh, it's, David has written this psalm. David wrote most of the psalms. He wrote 79 of the 150 psalms. Uh, you know, but in this particular case, we don't really need to know what was going on in David's life. Uh, 
uh, but you certainly can. You can dig into it and read about it. But he gives us an idea here in verse 2 where he says, I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. So we have a, an inclination that David is praising the Lord because he was in a situation of helplessness and somehow or other, as we're going to see, God came through in a very personal, real, relevant way that David's response was, God is incredible. I was totally helpless, but God intervened in my life and now he's helped me out. And so David starts off the psalm, like many, many psalms, by giving thanks. And David, you'll notice, he'll give thanks when he's desperate, when he's not in a good place, when he's not happy, when he's mad, when he's extremely excited, when he's grateful. He'll open up with giving thanks to the Lord. Because he knows it's like a bicycle. You, you've got to push that pedal. You've got to find a way to thank God, to see what God is doing and has done in your life. When you do that, the love of God starts flowing. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. God is saying to us, we need to find a way in all circumstances to be thankful. In other words, to see the love of God and His involvement in our lives. I read a very interesting survey that was done recently uh, asking pastors, and these are pastors that are healthy pastors, not pastors that are burnt out or upset, but pastors that are like really great and happy to be pastors, that have been pastors for many years in their lives, pastors of big churches, pastors of small churches, pastors of all sorts of different denominational churches, pastors in different cultures. And the question was, how do you as a pastor, how do you experience God in your life? What's been the reality of God in your life? And the interesting thing about this uh, survey to me was that most pastors, like the vast majority, like 80% of them, had never experienced God in any major dramatic way. Now, I fall in the other 20%. I've experienced God in like major dramatic ways, and I've shared many of my stories with you here over and over again. Maybe you're a little bored and sick of my stories, but I still love them because they're powerful stories in my life, and God has done, you know, He just shook me, shook me up. So I'm, I'm, I'm always grateful to God because I'm like so amazed at what God has done with me and in my life. But for 80% of these pastors, they can't recall anything that God has done that's dramatic in their life. Yet all of them are saying, but we experience and know that God is loving and He's personal and He's involved in our lives. Now this is really helpful because it means God doesn't have to do this ridiculously you know, amazing miracle. The ordinary everyday walk with the Lord can be very, very, very significant, or should I say very real. And what's helpful about that is it's accessible to all of us. We can all experience God in some small way, the still small voice of the Lord involved in our lives, which when we look at it is extremely powerful and life-giving. I mean, it is like we are just like so grateful to the Lord that He does work in our lives. So for instance... Last weekend was Father's Day, and my two kids uh, made a huge effort to come and, uh, and visit me. Now, in and of that, uh, I'm very grateful. 
But uh, you know what I was particularly grateful for is my son is 27, my daughter is 24, uh, 25, somewhere around there. Uh, but the thing that was so like exciting for me wasn't that my daughter traveled all the way from Owego, New York, which is near Bingington, near Ithaca, and my son traveled and his, his wife and their son traveled from uh, Cleveland, Ohio, which, you know, made it significant. What was what I was so grateful for was that somehow or other, I don't know how it happened, but my wife and I managed to raise two kids which love Jesus. Now look, I've got to tell you, I'm proud of my kids for a lot of things. I mean, you know, sports, academics, just their personality. But the fact that they love Jesus and want to pursue Jesus because they want to pursue Jesus, not because I'm keeping score in their lives, is just incredibly rewarding for me. I mean, I just like... Lord, how did we do that? I mean, you know, okay, we average parents. We, you know, we did the best job we could. And our kids just love the Lord. Super grateful for that. Super grateful. So I was just giving thanks to the Lord. Lord, I, I see your hand. And then when you look at it, you see how God has done all sorts of things in their lives. And you go, oh yeah, I see the Lord in that. Oh, and this was a significant, and this was a significant event. So my daughter's, my daughter's getting married uh, in October, and who does she want to officiate the, uh, the wedding? Not me. Oh, no, no. She wants her youth pastor from Project Timothy in Pennsylvania, which many of our leader kids go down to Project Timothy. She wants him to do the this, this service. Why? Because he made a huge impact in her life. And I'm like, yes, this is really awesome. And the amazing thing is he's willing to drive from Pennsylvania to Ithaca to do the wedding. I'm like, oh, great. That's, that's really fantastic. So lots to be thankful for. Uh, you know, just the missions trip, you folks going down and the church being willing to be a church that wants to invest in what God is doing and advancing the kingdom of God and going places. And yeah, this is a church which is willing to go to Spain, go to Dominican Republic, you know, risk, get out of our comfort zone, Try and speak other languages and, and communicate all for the, the, the cause of Christ. I'm also extremely grateful for this church. Honestly, I, I, I'm grateful for every single person here today. And if you're new, uh, well, I'll be grateful for you too. But I mean, everybody that regularly comes here and for you newcomers, you're more than welcome. I've got lots of love. I'll just expand it and expand it to you. But, you know, this has just been a, an incredibly great church. And when churches go through the ups and downs and have some bumps along the way, and then you, you kind of unite and you unify together, and you look at the people that uh, you know, want to serve God together and worship God together and be in unity together, you say, God, this is a great church. And not only is this a great church, I think God is about to do some really incredible things in this church over the next few years. Amen. I mean, amen. I mean, there's just like... Something good is starting to grow up here out of, you know, whatever. It's starting to happen. You can feel it. You can see it. I mean, it's, anyway, it's not just wishful thinking. It's great stuff. So the first pedal on this bicycle in Psalm 34, verse 1 through 3, is just find a reason to thank the Lord. The second pedal uh, here is really uh, of this bicycle. If you want to get the second pedal going, it's this idea of tasting and experiencing the goodness of God. So, on the one hand, you experience the goodness of God, you taste the goodness of God, and then you thank God. And then you experience the goodness of God, and then you thank God. And somehow or other, these things seem to work in tandem. It's like the more you experience God, the more you have a reason 
to thank God. But as you start thanking God, God seems to open up your eyes of what he's doing and how he's involved in your life, and you start experiencing God again. So there's sort of a faith thing here. Which comes first? I don't know. Sometimes you experience God first, and then you thank him. That seems logical. But sometimes you thank God, and you praise God, and then God reveals himself, and you experience God. But as you experience God and thank God, you experience the love of God. Uh, Let me just uh, read this section I'm jumping ahead here to uh, verse 8. It says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in Him. Fear the Lord for His godly people, for those who fear Him will have all they need. Verse 10, Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack No good thing. Just an an incredible few verses here. David starting off, he's saying, I just want to praise the Lord. And then you realize, okay, God has delivered him from something. And then he's saying, but you need to taste and experience this goodness of God. I mean, that's what you do when you come to church. You come to church, you want to experience that church is good. That this is a place where you can experience God. Uh, you want that experience to then propel your excitement for the Lord or for church or for your kids. Uh, but God is saying, taste, try it out. But it's not only David in the Psalms. You've got the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Paul is saying in Hebrews, listen, you need to taste and see that the God is good. And then the Apostle Peter is saying the same thing. He's saying, look, taste and see that the Lord is good. First uh, Peter 2, 1 through 3. Well, just read verse 2. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into the full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. Now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. So the Apostle Peter is saying, now that you've had a taste of the Lord's goodness, of his kindness, the natural instinct is you want more. And that's what God wants you to do. God wants you to experience him and to experience a little of him so that you'll see how loving he is, you'll see how good he is, that you will want more. That's the normal life of a believer in the Lord. It's not, oh my gosh, I've got to follow all these rules and I've got to do this. No, it's got to experience that the Lord is loving and that the Lord is good. And because he's loving and because he's good and because he's personal, in other words, he knows you and your circumstance and he wants involvement in your life, that we just become incredibly drawn towards the Lord and desire more and more of the Lord. What works against us, of course, is when we get arrogant, when we think we know more than God, or we don't need God, or we're smarter than God, or we'll get to God later, you know, we've got all our own priorities, and uh, we're just arrogant. Do you know, for instance, that on the Titanic, and one of the the doors above one of the bars in the saloon, it says, not even God can sink this ship. I mean, you know, now I don't know when they put that up there. I don't think they were like a bunch of atheists saying, I hate God. I think they were probably just like jovial and joking like, yeah, this. But I mean, really? Really? I mean, I don't know if God's laughing at the Titanic sitting at the bottom of the ocean or not. But no, don't get arrogant. All right, let's jump ahead in this uh, psalm. I wish I could read it all to you. But I'm going to read verse 17 through 22. 
because uh, this is really a, a wonderful way that this, this psalm uh, finishes up. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. Okay, just personalize that. The Lord hears it when you call out to him and he desires to rescue you. Let me just read it. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. For the Lord protects the bones of the righteous. Not one of them is broken. Calamity will surely overtake the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished. But the Lord will redeem those who serve him. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. One good way of reading scripture is to read this through the lens of Jesus. And a, way, a good way of reading this ending to the psalm is thinking about Jesus' life. You know, Jesus' life was not a life that you could say was really easy and really comfortable. You know, the Christian life is just about retiring to Florida and just playing golf every day. And every time you play golf, you know, your handicap just drops by one. I mean, each time you go out, it just gets better and better. And, and that's like, yeah, there you go. You got like, woo! I mean, no, if that's your perception of life, you're just going to, of, of joy and happiness, you're going to be disappointed. Not to say that golf isn't fun or you can't and shouldn't have fun, you should. But Jesus' life did not model that. Jesus' life modeled something totally different. He, you know, his life on the end, end of his life on the cross was one of incredible suffering, cruelty. But in the midst of that, he was experiencing God and experiencing God's love. And so the per things that's so perplexing for us is how can we suffer? How can we have disappointment and experience the love of God? And yet it was this exact verse that Jesus used when he said not a single bone was broken when he hung on the cross and he was crucified. Verse 20, for the Lord protects the bones of the righteous. Not one of them is broken. This is one of the prophetic fulfillments of Old Testament scripture that Jesus fulfilled by dying on the cross. What I'm saying is this, as it says in the, earlier in this, in this um, psalm, even strong young lions sometimes go hungry. It is normal for us as Christians to have hard times, to have difficult times. It's life. But God is good, and God is loving, and God is personal. And even as a lion will go hungry for a short time period, the ultimate thing will be saying, hey, you'll lack no good thing. Let me just maybe sum it up this way. The Lord does not promise an easy life. Our sin nature wants to divert us. The devil wants to lure us. The world is offering us a whole alternative way of getting joy and fulfillment. But Jesus is saying something totally different to us. He's saying, I am offering you a way, a life. He say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, I want to offer you a life which is abundant, which is full. Do you want that life? And Jesus is saying, that's my ideal. Not that I'll save you from every bit of hardship. But no, I want to offer you a rich and abundant life. Uh, or in 1 Corinthians, it says it this way. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Meaning this, 
no matter how old you are or what stage of life you're in, God has a plan for you, and it's something awesome. It's something good. It's something rich, and it's something rewarding. However God has made you in whatever stage you're in, whatever situation you're in, God is offering hope in Him and saying He has meaningful life for you. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we drifting away, drifting away from God, or are we pressing in and trying to experience the fullness and the love of God? Are we drifting into what the world has to offer, what our temptation in our own sinful nature has to offer, what other people are having to offer, or are we staying rooted in what Jesus has to offer? And the, the offer of Jesus is, trust me, walk this life out in me. Say no to the things of the world. Say no to the things of the evil of your evil spirit or the evil nature. Say yes to what God is saying. Stick close to God. And Jesus is asking each one of us, how are we doing? Are we experiencing the fullness and the love of God? And so I just want to close as we have the worship team come on up. Choose God. I mean, if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, but you've kind of grown distant from God, Choose God again. Press into the Psalms this summer. Read them. Read them in a personal way. You don't have to rush through. It's not like an exercise. I need to read all the Psalms in a day. You can just read like one. Just meditate on it. But the idea is to connect with the Lord. See what's resonating in your life with what you're reading. Choose God. Say yes to God and say no to the things that aren't of God. Yes to God. No to the things that aren't of God. If you've never ever put your life and trust in God, I encourage you to do it right now. Just say, God, I, I, I don't fully understand you. I don't know that I fully experienced you, but I desire to experience you. I de desire to experience your love and how personal you are in my life. And I desire those scriptures, the purpose and plan that you have for my life to be a reality. And as you ask God into your life, you just say, Jesus, come into my life. And you acknowledge that you're not perfect. I'm not asking, are you good enough? I'm asking, are you perfect? If you're not perfect, you could say, God, I'm not perfect. And you desire us to be perfect. We can only be perfect with the love of Jesus and the Holy Spirit living within us. And God is saying, I want to come and live in you and be with you. And God's ultimate promise is that this is going to be a great life, full of difficulties and struggles, and eternity is going to be incredible. But only those that have asked Jesus into their life are going to be in eternity. Not those that think that they've been good or think they've been generous or think they've been kind. No, those that have asked Jesus into their life and have repented of their sin, their imperfection, will spend eternity with, in, with God in heaven. So we live a great life with Him now and a great life that we long for and look forward to with Jesus in eternity. So I just ask you, if you haven't asked Jesus, just quietly in your own heart, just ask Jesus into your life. But let's stand, let's worship, and then we'll come back and, and do some prayer.